Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 828 with Brian Gillette. If you've got some big goals, big resolutions, Brian's got some core principles to help you achieve them masterfully. So you'll learn one, the five pillars of epic performance, two, what you can learn from elite athletes to find your own peak performance, and three, how to quantify tricky goals. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've mentioned, please Visit us over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP828. And if it's your first time listening, hello, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Historically, there is a bump in the January month, something about that new year effect. So I want to talk a bit about the goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com. And if you've heard this hundreds of times, feel free to skip ahead one, two, three minutes, everybody. Here's the scoop. At awesomeatyourjob.com, we got a lot of stuff that complements, augments, enriches the audio alone that you're hearing here. So we've got the transcript. So that's pretty cool. If you want to read, oh, what did he say? We've got direct links to the stuff he mentioned. Oh, what was that book? What was that tool? What was that website? We've got that there. We also have every episode tagged by the topic and subtopic covered. So if you want more about communication or goal setting or creativity, you can jump right to those from the archive, as well as the competency covered. And we're using the uh, Lominger tool from Corn Ferry. So that categorization, if maybe you are in the learning and development world or you've got those systems in your organization in terms of that competency coding, uh, we've got all the episodes tagged that way as well. So that's pretty handy. And then we have summary write-ups of the actionable wisdom that each guest shares called the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. And so those guys will write your email and they are more of the actionable pieces like Try this, try that, the recommendations alone, as opposed to sort of the rich stories and color, but that enables it to be really short, read it in a couple minutes, as well as unlock the whole vault archive of those such gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com, as well as the 10 days of winning at work email course, which shares my favorite tools to help slash waste out of your work days. You get home earlier or have more time to do the fun stuff based upon what I have found are the key drivers of waste when it comes to knowledge work. So you have lots of that and more good stuff. Anyway, a boatload of tasty resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. Wanted to make sure if you were new, you knew about them. They don't miss out. Now, here is a bit about Brian. Brian Gillette knows what it is like to reach the peak as he has stood on the summits of many mountains and successfully completed many physically and mentally challenging ultra-distance endurance events. He's reached several summits in his career as well, and before founding his own leadership consulting practice, was the vice president of human resources. Brian has over 25 years of experience in human resources and leadership and organizational development with executive-level responsibilities in small and large companies. His experience also includes consulting, speaking, coaching, and teaching all levels. Brian is a super dedicated endurance athlete. He has cycled across the whole United States, run eight marathons back to back, and run his bicycle 300 miles in one day. When he's not traveling the world with his wife and two boys, he lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Big thanks to Brian for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free 
at linkedin.com slash be awesome. And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now, here's Brian. Brian, welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, it's nice to be on on the show, Pete. It's good to be here. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about epic performance and one epic achievement I have to ask about right away is, so you ran eight marathons back to back within a 76-hour window, sleeping for less than two hours during this feat. First of all, is that accurate? <laughs> it is accurate. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's uh, 205 <laughs> miles around Lake Tahoe. So Lake Tahoe is one of the, the premier high elevation lakes in the Sierra Mountains. And there's a 200 mile race around it. Okay, so you did that. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that is astounding. Almost unbelievable. So I had to confirm that, that we were getting the claim correct, first of all. You've got your information correct. <laughs> so I guess we're going to get into some of the core principles for how such epic achievements unfold. But maybe for this specific tale, could you share with us a key thing you did before or during this event that you think made all the difference for you? There were a number of things, but if we just focus on one thing, it's making sure I'm training well and I'm prepared. Okay. People often ask, what's the hardest part of running 200 miles? And and they'll think, oh, the hardest part is getting to the finish line. In this case, the hardest part is getting to the start line, getting to the start line prepared, getting to the start line healthy and injury free. It's the nine months leading up to an event like that that's that's the hard part. It only takes nine months to prep for that? <laughs> well, it takes a lot longer. When I started, so nine months prior to it, I had completed a 100-mile run okay. in 24 hours. So I was in pretty good shape when I started my training. And so for the nine months leading up to it, you know, I started that in really good shape. So I started off with a really good base. And then, then I spent the next nine months really focusing on that one run. Okay. Well, this is not a running or fitness podcast, but I just got to ask, how does one remain injury free? Because it seems like I've always got something that acts up. If, even when I start cranking about five miles every other day for a few months, something happens. Oh, my IT band is doing whatever. And it's like, wah, wah. Then I'll just like disappear for weeks or months. So how is that even done? <laughs> I wish I had the magic answer to that one and could clearly say, this is how you, you stay injury free. I can tell you what I have done for all of my events and all, all, mainly all of my running events, because I'm also a cyclist as well, is if all I did was run in order to prepare for the 200 mile run, I would not have been able to, to stay injury free. So okay. I ran, I bicycled, so I would mix it up a little bit. And when I would notice something was starting to, 
to hurt, I would kind of assess what's going on is, do I need a new pair of shoes? Because you're going through shoes quite quickly in something like that and really understanding your body well. And I think it applies to everything is, do you understand what's working, what's not working? How do you tweak things? And if you've got an injury, how do you stop and try to do something different so you don't over injure it even more? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, now let's get into some broader lessons. All right. Your book, Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Oof, that's exactly the sort of thing we love to hear. There's a lot of lessons, but could you kick us off with a particularly shocking, surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive, dopamine-releasing discovery (laughs) that you unearthed when you dug into this research quest? So I spoke to 100 people. And most of them were C-level folks and, you know, about 75% were C-level folks. And then about 25% were ultra distance endurance athletes. So somebody that has done an Ironman or equivalent, but people in many cases, the ultra distance athletes were, were C-level folks. Mm-hmm. And you don't mean C's in academic oh, no, performance. No. You mean as chief information officer, chief operating officer, chief executive officer, sir. Is that okay? Yes. Thank you for clarifying that, Pete. Yeah. These were CIOs, CHROs, CEOs, all, right. all that, that C-level work. And what surprised me the most was how humble they were. And I mean, these were some very accomplished people, but I thought at some point when I identified that I wanted to reach a, talk to a hundred people, I thought, how many people am I going to have to ask in order to get a hundred mm-hmm. interviews? And what surprised me is I only had to ask 102 people. Only two people said no. Okay. And everybody, the other, everybody else was, they were so willing to do it, spend the time. I spent a minimum of an hour with everybody and it was something like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and when I would ask them, I'd start the interview, they, they would often start off and it's like, why are you interviewing me, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) And, And it was that humbleness that really surprised me the most. But then the other thing along those lines was that all but two people said, said mm-hmm. yes. And so that, that I was just, if you don't ask somebody, if you want something and you don't ask, the answer is going to be no. Yeah. But if at least you go out and ask, and that reinforced that concept even more in my head. If you at least ask, there's a greater possibility of you getting a yes than if you don't ask. Well, now there's a, maybe a whole other podcast episode here about cold outreach because I'm imagining you probably got a number of ghost replies, as in no reply whatsoever, as opposed to a clear no or a clear yes. And surprisingly, so when I went out to people, there were a, a bunch of the people I knew personally. Okay. And so I could call them up, I could send them an email, and they all res- they all responded. And then at the end of any interview, I would ask one question. It's like, is there anybody else who you think I should talk to? Okay. They would say, oh, yeah, you got to talk to Marilyn. I said, can you do make a, a connection with me? And here's some here's some information you can send to her and make that connection. And so I, I didn't get those ghosts. So I literally sent out 102 requests or called 102 people. And only the two people, either of the two, one of them said, there's some a lot of family issues I'm going through. It's now is not the best time. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. And then the other person I actually never heard from. Okay. 
Well, that that is mighty impressive. And then I suppose it's also kind of fun. The well, it's flattering, right? It's like I want to figure out how one becomes an epic high performer like you. So that that feels good. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I teach a uh, a graduate course at the university on leadership, and and one of the things often the students will come up and we'll we'll be talking about career or career advice, and they're asking me questions. And what I'll often tell them is do some informational interviews. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in, you want to work in nonprofit, go out and do some if- informational interviews. And most people, when you say, hey, Pete, can I uh, interview you on what it means to be a podcast host? Chances are you're going to say yes, because it is very flattering to the person. So ask people. It's flattering to be asked. And chances are you're going to get a yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. All right, well, now on to epic performance. Let's hear the scoop. What is kind of the core thesis, message, big idea we should take away from this? Yeah, so epic performance, there's five behaviors of epic performance. And epic stands for, E is what are the big uh, things in life you envision? How do you envision those things that you want to accomplish? Not just one or two years out, but three, four, or 30, 40 years out. That's E is envision. P is how do you put a plan in place in order to accomplish those big ideas? High is I is how do you iterate to that plan? So you don't start off running 200 miles. You don't start off running a marathon. You start off running two miles or four miles. You don't start off at the CEO of a company. You start off a much lower level. So that's iterate. How do you work your way up? The C is how do you collaborate with somebody who's done this before? So if I wanted to start my own podcast, I'd call you up and say, Pete, what's it, you know, what's it take to start a podcast? Mm -hmm. And then the last one is how do you go out and perform it? That's epic performance. So the performance is how do you deal with the hard times? How do you get from the start line to the finish line? How do you deal with those challenges? And then once you've accomplished, you've reached kind of that peak, how do you think Mm -hmm. about what's next? Okay. Well, could you share with us a story of someone who did just that in terms of pushing beyond their limits, achieving something epic, and ideally in the professional or work context? Walk us through their steps and and the result they saw. Yeah. So I have an assessment where people can assess how well are they at the five different areas. And generally what I found is somebody is probably really good at two of the five areas. And they know how to compensate for the other ones. So, for example, there's there's a gentleman I work with. He's one of my clients, and he is also the CEO of this this fairly decent-sized economic development arm here in California. And he is phenomenal at envisioning things. And he can see stuff. And he works really hard to go and, and kind of get it accomplished. He's not necessarily the best person to put the plan together. And he's not necessarily the best person to iterate, but he can collaborate well and he can perform well. And so part of it is understanding where are you good at it. And and so as I was talking about the envision part and trying to understand, part of envision is understanding your why, understanding your purpose and and how you how you can see that future. And as he's building this business, I asked him, I said, how do you deal with the challenges? How are you able to kind of see that future and then overcome some of the many obstacles you've come with? And he talked about, he goes, I'm very clear on my why. I'm very clear on the purpose. And that's what Envision is. And I said, Where, where's that come from? 
He goes, part of what I want to do with this organization is I want to be able to build up the economic arm of these 15 to 20 cities that make up this region. And the reason I want to do that is because when I was a kid, I saw my dad lose his job because the economy wasn't doing well. And the city that we were in just, it was depressed. I saw him lose his job and I saw him lose that luster for life. And I never want that to happen to me or to other kids. And so that's why I know that why really well. And so that's what that envision is, knowing that why, knowing your purpose and being able to kind of stay focused. So when it really does get hard, you can go back to those those types of situations. So that's that's one example of of when somebody really understand kind of that vision and their purpose. Mm hmm. Okay. Well then let's, let's walk through the whole, the whole picture then. So envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, performance. Can we hear a little bit about the, the definition and some best practices within them? Yeah. So, so envision it's, you know, it's being able to think out, you know, most of the time. And when I work with companies, it's thinking about one, two, three years out. And so what I want people to do and kind of get help people get to is how are you thinking 10, 20, 30 years out a little bit further? And part of that is being clear. You know, we just chatted about the, the vision part, being clear about that, being clear about what your purpose is, but then also looking out what do you want to accomplish in 30 years instead of just looking out a couple of years. And, and often what holds people back is we think, oh, I can't, I can't think out. 30 years because we can't do that. And the problem is we can't do that today. So the iterate part is what do you have to do in order to get to that point where you can drive to the, uh, that, that bigger goal. So for example, if you just look, go back to our marathon example, you don't start off running a marathon. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people, if you asked them, Hey, could you run a marathon? They would say, no, I can't do it. It's like, okay. So what is it you could do today to move you closer to being able to run that marathon next year or the following year? Well, today you can run two miles or three miles, and then next week maybe you can run four miles. So that's what the, the iterate is. The plan is once you know what that long-term goal is, if it is to run the marathon, what are the steps you need to put in place in order to get there? And then the collaborate is, who are the different people? Who could you learn from? Now, you think about a lot of times people will say, oh, what I'm doing, somebody's never done before. And I talk to a lot of CEOs who started up their own company. And they never said, oh, what I'm doing, somebody's never done before, because somebody has started up their own company. Somebody started up and done something in a similar space. It may not be exactly what you're doing, but learn from what they did. Learn from those people's successes. Learn from their failures. And then lastly is the perform. How do you go out and you do it? And that's all about how do you persevere through the difficult times? How do you stay focused on your goal is what you're trying to do. All right. Well, could we hear another example of a professional who achieved some awesome things and walk us through each of those steps, how they envisioned, they planned, they iterated, they collaborated, they performed? So another example on the professional side is 
there was a CEO who I was talking to, and early on in his career, kind of as he was coming out of college, one of the things that he wanted to do in life is he wanted to run a hunting lodge. All right. And, and so that was what he wanted his career to do. And so he started, and this is kind of that iterate side, he started to go out and work for hunting lodges. And as he was working for one, so it was a hunting and fishing or kind of where his passions were. Okay. And so he went and he was working for one company and he knew that in order to do this, I've got to get better at finance. And the CEO of the company brought him in, got him involved in some of the financial aspects of the business. So he started to learn finance and then he started to learn kind of that, that customer, that front of the house uh, type of management. How do you manage the customers? So he was building up those skills that were all going to be important when he ran his own hunting and fishing lodge. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened is he started to get into that, started to learn about finance, started to learn about marketing, started to learn about kind of the, the customers and what their needs were. And he realized, I didn't really like managing the hunting or fishing lodges. All right. And so he had to pivot a little bit. And what, but he's still hunting and fishing, really fishing is at his core. So he figured out, okay, what do I have to do differently? Then he went to work for a fishing, a, a large fishing uh, uh, manufacturer, large outdoor kind of company that, that mm -hmm. focused on uh, fishing equipment and fishing gear. And he worked his way up in different, different areas, in marketing and sales. And eventually, he became the CEO of several well-known outdoor apparel companies. Okay. So it starts off where you start off, it's like, here's, you know, my goal is I want to do something around kind of in, in my career around fishing because that's what was his passion in. And he got into it and realized, I don't like some of these aspects, but I still want to stay in the industry. And he just, he, he kind of learned the different parts of what it took to run, run a business and eventually, you know, the CEO. Okay. That's cool. So there I'm hearing the iterate loud and clear with regard to, oh, I guess this isn't quite exactly the thing in terms of when we look at the realities of that. I'm thinking about a lot of people in their careers. They think they want to do something and then they realize that, oh, the reality of that's actually different than what I imagined. Like that, law that is, is an example. Like, oh, I want to be in the courtroom like the TV shows doing dramatic uh, persuasion of a judge or a jury. And then they realize, oh, shoot, most lawyers are primarily creating documents. Right. Huh. Right. Well, <laughs> it's the iterate part of that, Pete, as well as the collaborate part of that. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to be a, if you want to be a lawyer and you're just, you're thinking about going into law school, go out and talk to a bunch of lawyers mm -hmm. and talk to, I mean, lawyer, there's different types of law. You know, there's family right. law, there's a uh, business law, there's contracts. And so there's difference, differences there. So go out and talk to those people. Absolutely. And so you may not like litigation, but maybe you like contract law. And so understanding, and that's all of what collaborate is, is go out and talk to those people. What do you, what do they like? What do they don't like? And it's also talk to the people that were successful, but talk to the people who may have had some failures to understand what they did or what they didn't do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I like these particular tips in terms of the do's and don'ts when it comes to iterating and collaborating. Could you give us a few of those for each of the steps 
what does great envisioning look, sound, feel like versus what are some common pitfalls and so forth within each of the steps? Yeah. So great envisioning is you're clear on what your purpose is. I mean, at at the end of the day, you know what your purpose is. You're also clear on what your values are. You've got to understand what's important to you. You know, those people that, that know this, they know what's important to them. They know where to say yes, but they also know where to say no. You know, graded envisioning is being able to put yourself into situations where you may be uncomfortable. And so how do you stretch yourself a little bit further is what you're, you're trying to accomplish. One of the ways you know that is if you're looking to try something new, does it make you nervous? It's that nervous quotient I always like to, uh, to focus on. So the way you know you're thinking bigger, the way you know you're pushing yourself is because before you do it, you get nervous. And it's, it's not that nervous that stops you from doing anything. It's that nervous that's like, okay. Um, and you just kind of hold back a little bit, but it's still nervousness is a good indication that you're, you're stretching yourself. Another key part of envisioning is, do you have some sort of strategy that allows you to write those big ideas down and you come back to that over, you know, every once in a while? So I'm sure you've gotten or our list, your listeners have gotten ideas of, oh, hey, you know, I'd love to do X. And do you have a place where you write that down and then maybe come back to it in a year? Because maybe you're not ready to do X. You know, I was talking to my kids the other day and I said, so, you know, what are some of the things you want to do? And one of my kids said, I want to go on the vomit comet. And if, if you're not familiar with the vomit comet, it's that airplane that goes up and it does a parabolic flight. And then for a short amount of time, you are experiencing weightlessness. Okay. And I said, just write that down somewhere. And you may not be able to do it today. But maybe in 10 years, you can come back to it. You know, I I keep a list of all the places that I want to go in, you know, all the places that I want to travel. And every year we go back and we look at that list. So those are a couple things for Envision. For plan, often we wait to put this big plan together before we get started. And I think the biggest thing is if you have this idea of something you want to do that's big, just do one thing, no matter how small it is, it moves you forward. Just do one thing in the next 72 hours. And that's one of the things I'd encourage the guests to do is, you know, if there's something big you're thinking about, what one thing can you do in the next 72 hours that will move you forward with that idea? And then do something else. We often wait to build the full out plan before we get started. And you don't have to just start moving forward now. And then also start to assess what obstacles and risks may be in your way. Look at the risks, write them down, figure out how you can break them down even smaller and understand that. You know, one of the one of the executives I talked to, he's uh, even in, uh, invests in a lot of real estate in the San Francisco Bay Area where a million dollars is not going to buy you much of a house. So it's mm-hmm. really expensive. And at one point he was 90 percent leveraged and a lot of risk that he had in going on. And he had, what he did is he took that risk and broke it down into smaller segments. And he kind of broke it down to, it was like, what if I lose my job? What if I lose a tenant? Or what if I need to do a major remodel? He broke each of those down, or he broke those down into three components. And that breaks the risk down into smaller components. And then you can break it down even further to understand, okay, how much risk is there? Where can I better manage? Because when you think about the big picture, sometimes that's daunting. But if you break it down into smaller chunks, you can you can manage it, manage it a little bit better. 
mm-hmm. with iterate, I always look at how do you practice with intention? How are you very focused on where you're going to spend your time and where you're not going to spend your time? One of the executives I talked to, he's a CHRO, so Chief Human Resources Officer, and he's also an Ironman. And so he keeps extremely busy. And he goes, when I am looking to train for an event, I know I need about 11 hours out of the week. He goes, I can find 11 hours out of a week. And that means I have to say no to some things. And so how are you looking at your calendar? How are you looking where you're spending your time and really assessing that and and then putting a plan in place that makes you very intentional on how you're going to go about iterating to that? And how are you looking at data? What's the data you need to know? If you're, if you're doing a, a sports event, you're probably looking at speed or time. If you're looking at a business, then what are the financial data elements you ought to look at? And you you don't have to look at everything, but find out those key data points that will indicate that you're being successful or indicate you're moving in the direct, in the right direction and identify those with collaborate, find a few mentors, find a couple people that you could, you can talk to bounce ideas off will push you. And I always, you know, I like to ask folks is do who are the mentors in your life? And do they offer a different perspective? One of the assignments I have for folks in my class is I say, write down who are all the people, the mentors in your group, and then look at where they're different. Are they different in gender? Are they different in ethnicity? Are they different in maybe marital preferences or sexual preferences? Are they different in, you know, some like business, some like education, you know, think about how different they are because you want to get different perspectives and learn from those different perspectives. And then, you know, lastly, when we look at perform is how are you really focusing on what your goal is? And so that takes you back to the envision. Do you know what that goal is? Do you know what that peak is? And when the times get tough, are you, how are you focusing on that goal and being very clear on what that goal is? Mm Mm-hmm. And are there some best practices for refocusing on that goal? Yeah. I mean, it's, first of all, you should have it written down somewhere. Have that goal written down where you can look at it and constantly go back and evaluate, are we on track? Now, I I like to put some, some objectivity to a goal. When you think of it, we've often, most of us have probably heard the SMART goals. Mm -hmm. Is it specific? Is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it relevant? Is there a time bound to it? Yeah. And that helps put some objectiveness to your goals. And it also helps you to evaluate whether I'm on track or I'm, I'm not on track. And so is, the more objective, the more specific you can be with those goals, then it's going to be easier to evaluate with whether you're on track or you're not on track. Well, Brian, I'd love to get your take on when it comes to objectification, quantification of goals. It seems that some are far easier to do than others with regard to sales or finance or wealth or lifting weights or achieving feats of distance or speed. I'm curious if you have any pro tips on how we might go about objectifying, quantifying goals that can feel fuzzy at the start. Like, I want to be happier or healthier or more energetic or in a, in a, 
better mood or more present. Yeah. I think these are aspirations many listeners have. And, and I, I'm motivated by quantification and seeing progress for sure. But some goals fall into a, a, a tricky zone there. Have you seen some clever approaches to quantifying them? Well, I, I think you have to continue to ask that question. So if you say, I want to be happier, you know, the question I would pose is, all right, what would happy look like for you? Mm-hmm. Because what happy looks like for you and what happy looks like for me are different. So what would happy look like for you? And continuing to ask the kind of a, a question until you get to something that's a quantifiable. I was talking to a client yesterday and they, they want me to facilitate that one of their executive retreats. And I, one of the questions I often ask is what would success look like? So mm-hmm. if we were highly successful in this retreat, what would it look like? And so often they'll say something that's a little bit fuzzy and then I'll kind of ask, okay, what would that look like? So take your example (laughs) is what for you, what does happiness look like? And it may be, I come back from my job and, you know, four days out of the week, I just feel jazzed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how do you put some objectivity to that situation is really what we're trying to do. So let's get the fuzziness out of it as much as you can. Oh, yes. Well, I'd love to play with that demonstration a little bit more. So four out of five days, we feel jazzed. I think, okay, so we have a number, four out of five, Mm -hmm. a fraction, 80%. Cool. So then how do we put that into the system with regard to further eliminating fuzziness and, and, and getting numbers? Like, I suppose we have to define jazzed. You do. Could you lay it on us, Brian? What's jazzed mean in this example? Yeah. And that would be the question I'd ask. Okay. So what would jazzed look like? We know when we come home, whether we've had a good day or a bad day. Mm -hmm. And, and it could be just as easy as, all right, when you come home from work, because there are some people that they want to, we're going to put a quantity to everything. And some people that you don't have to actually have a a number 3.67, but when you come home from work, can you check off that this was a good day? This was a great day. This was a bad day. And just put in a check mark on a whiteboard on a piece of paper that said, great day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you come home, it's like, ah, this was a good day. Good day. And so if part of your goal is I want four of the five days to be great, then what I would do is like, okay, for how long? Let's see. First of all, where are we right now? Let's, you know, let's look over the next, uh, next couple of weeks and where are you now? Mm-hmm. And just if that's what's important to you, just track it. And, and then, so look after doing it for a couple of weeks and you find out that, you know, right now I come home and only three of the days or only two of the days I can mark off as a great day. And okay, what's going to get us to mark off three days? What do we have to do differently? What do you have to do in your job? So it's really, you have to, when you find a fuzzy word, ask yourself, what could make it less fuzzy? Mm-hmm. Okay. How do you further defuzzify that word? Okay. Well, now I want to get your take on when it comes to epic. Some might think about hustling, working super hard, digging deep, pushing it. How do we think about the exerting effort versus resting domain of this? Can we? Can we overdo it? And what are the telltale signs that we might be overdoing it or some rules of thumb, safety guidelines to say, oh, watch out. This might be too much. 
Can we overdo it? Yeah, we can overdo it. All right. It goes back to what your values are. You know, there, there are times in my life where it's like, okay, I was riding a cyclist at my core and, you know, okay, I did 100 miles. Now let's do 200 miles. Now let's do 300 miles and you can continue to push it. And you have to understand, is that what you're trying to do? And for a period of time, that's what I was, was trying to do. You have to get to the point where you understand where some of your limits are. And what I often say is you can probably go a little bit further if you want to go a little bit further. So if we go back and use that marathon example, there's a lot of people that will say, I could never run a marathon. And my view is, do you want to run a marathon? <laughs> because if you say yes, then I'm going to argue you probably could. If you say no, then I'm going to say, don't do it and go find out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's being able to get to that point to understand kind of what is it that you really want to do? What's most important to you? I don't know that I've got a, a, a great answer on how do you know when you're, you're pushing it too far. On sports, it's much easier. On work, are you succeeding in what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Or are you failing? And if you're consistently failing, maybe you need to back off a little bit and really assess that. And then, all right, maybe you kind of go back and you iterate at a lower level. Okay. Well, now, what is it for sports? I'm imagining you're going to drop some. Well, your heart rate variability drops by over 31%. Like, what is it on the sports domain? No, I think if, you're, if you find yourself injured, I mean, we talked okay, about that go. early. <laughs> if you find yourself, you're injured too much, then you're pushing it too hard and you have to go back and reevaluate what's going on. Okay. If you find yourself in the hospital, you've probably gone too far. How do you learn from that one? Oh. <laughs> Quote, Brian Gillette. <laughs> okay, well, any other guidelines? So failing a lot, hospitalization, injuries, too far? Well, it goes back to understanding what is your criteria for success? And do you have those three or four measurable criteria that's going to show you're, you're driving forward? And if you're consistently not getting to that point, then you have to figure out why am I not getting to that point and then reevaluate what you need to do differently. Or maybe you need to lower the bar mm -hmm. or you need to adjust something. So I do think it's good to have some data elements and you don't have to have, you know, a hundred, but what are three, four, five things you're, you're working on? And even as former vice president in human resources, and it's hard to measure success. You know, people often have a challenge. How do you measure success on the, on the HR side? And there were times we would measure turnover. Mm -hmm. And there were times we wouldn't measure turnover, depending on what was important at the course, at the, the maturity of the business or what we were trying to accomplish. There were times when we would measure leadership and we'd had to define what that looked like. And so... Again, it goes back to figuring out what are those measurable things that you see as success? So if I were to ask you, what does success look like? I'm going to continue to ask until we get, can get to something that is we can hold in our hands and is, is a little bit measurable. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Any particularly clever measurements you've seen in your day? One of them was, it was a woman I was talking to and she wanted to work for a highly successful kind of growth company. 
And she wanted to be seen as the key leader. This is in human resources. She was wanted to be seen as a respected leader in the human resources for that company. And she put a measurement of being able to work for a company where I could be involved in ringing the bell at one of the stock exchanges, whether it was NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. Okay. And it wasn't because she wanted to ring the bell, but it was a, it showed that she was working for the type of company she was seen by the executives as the type of person that she wanted to be. Yeah. And and so I, I just love that. That's what her measurement was. It's like, okay, I'm ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. I really do appreciate that example because we take something fuzzy. What do you mean by like a high growth or cool company? Oh, okay. The kind that goes public. All right. And then what do you mean by a key leader? Like you're in (laughs) thinking about the pictures I've seen of this, that you don't get 80 people (laughs) up there to ring the bell. It's It's a smaller crew. So I think that's a cool example of going from fuzzy to unfuzzy. And and it sounds like, Brian, that could take some real reflective time and not something you might be able to come up with in five or 10 minutes. Is that fair to say? It's uh, very fair, Pete. And it's also not something that's going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had been working at that for years in order to do that. So, and it takes her to realize that, okay, when she went from one company to the other, it's like, all right, I was working at this public company. Chances are I'm not going to be ringing the bell anytime soon. And so it starts to identify what's important to her, the type of company she should focus on. So that was one that that I really liked. Another one that I like that is less work related, but it was a, a colleague of mine who wants to hike all of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And I forget how many there are. And so he has a picture of all of the peaks on his wall. And so it's got a listing of all the peaks. And and every time he hikes one, he'll go and he'll put a pin in each of the peaks. And so it's a visual representation that sits on his wall above his desk. And he can look up and see, okay, I've done 10 so far. I've done 11 so far. So that's another important thing is how do you make your goal somewhat a visual representation so you see it every time you walk in walk in the in your office or walk in the room whatever it is. And one of the examples I had is I wanted to travel around the world. And I wanted to take an extended period of time off and so I bought this world map, I put it up on my wall and it was a, a one where I could right on with a dry erase pen. Mm -hmm. And so I would circle countries I was interested in. So every time I walked into my office, I would see that map and it would remind me of what my bigger goal was. And so how do you have some visual representation of what that goal is that makes it really easy and it reminds you every single day? Beautiful. Brian, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, I'm looking forward to the favorite things. All right. Well, can you tell us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes, it's, uh, there's nothing more rewarding than completing something you were too crazy to start in the first place. Mm -hmm. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I like reading about how people push themselves, whether it's the study of the brain. I just read an article about called Train Your Brain to Make You Faster, and it was uh, in a swimming magazine. And it's how do you stress the brain out in normal times so when you are going and doing something, 
your brain is prepared for that stress. And it, they were talking about swimming, but it also talks about in the corporate world as well. Okay, now, Brian, I have to ask, how does one stress one's brain? The first thing that came to mind was Wim Hof breathing. That's insane and fun. But w- w- what do they recommend? <laughs> well, there are different puzzles that you're, you're kind of doing doing while you're working on something. Okay. So if you're working on one thing, you've got these puzzles that you're trying to trying to test your brain in. Mm-hmm. And so that forces you to use your brain while doing something else. So that's one way you just stress that, stress the brain out a little bit. So I'm thinking about chess checkmate in three puzzles while also running or walking briskly at an incline on a treadmill. Is that the kind of idea we're talking here? Yeah, it could be. Okay. Yeah. Good example. All right. And how about a favorite book? I love autobiographies or biographies. And so I think three books that came to mind. I know you asked for a favorite book, but I love Endurance, which is the Shackleton story. Mm-hmm. Ernest Shackleton went down to uh, Antarctica. Unbroken, uh, which is about Louis Zamperini's story. Laura Hildebrand is the author. He was a World War II uh, veteran. And then most recently, Liftoff, which is about Elon Musk. There's a lot of people that can complain about him, but he's wicked smart. And so it's how he was able to build up SpaceX. Okay. And could you share a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? A favorite tool. I was thinking more of a a habit. I think one of the tools that I use, I use OneNote all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Microsoft OneNote, just to track ideas, keep, keep track of conversations I've had. And realistically, I have a bucket list that I keep on OneNote and I go back and use it all the time. Okay. And a favorite habit? A favorite habit. So this is not work related, but every time my wife and I go somewhere where if she's going off to the store and I'm staying home or we, we split apart, we always kiss each other. All right. It just keeps us together. Okay. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back often to you? Yeah. One of the things I often hear is, is we don't all deserve a trophy. And there's this view that uh, everybody deserves a trophy, and I'm not of the view that we all deserve a trophy in everything, but find those things that you're good enough to deserve a trophy. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So they can go to my website. They can go to epicperformances.com. So that's E-P-I-C performances with an S dot com. Um, They can go on LinkedIn and uh, connect up with me, but epicperformances.com is probably the best way. Okay. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. So I do have the Epic Performance Assessment, where if you go to epicperformances.com, there is an assessment and you can evaluate how well you do each of the five different behaviors, envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. And if they type in, you know, so they go to the, uh, the assessment and you can do it for free, it's going to ask you for a company code. Just type in awesome. Oh, thank you. And that will be the company code that allow you. It'll generate some results, send it to me, and I will send you back your report. Oh, cool. Thank you. All right. Well, Brian, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of fun and epic performances. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show, Pete. I really loved Brian's perspective on the iterating and how often great, huge, intimidating, giant goals aren't that crazy when you break it down and you do a little bit. I'm thinking about Zig Ziglar. His goal when he first started exercising was he was going to run down the block. And then I think it was down the block and then one mailbox. So that notion of 
than one mailbox, that increment, that iteration is cool. And I've seen that many times in terms of even making a big, glorious Excel model in the consulting days. It started very basic and then said, oh, well, hey, we could add another sheet to look at this key assumption or input. And then, well, this is really driven by these other key factors. So why don't we make that just automatically update everywhere if I change one input? And let's link this together. Let's make the formatting a little sharper. And why don't we just have it so we can copy paste a huge dump of stuff from something else over in this messy tab, which then pulls in. And then before you know it, you've got just this huge yet elegant and dynamic Excel model. I'm such a dork and it's a cool thing. But anyways, that iteration, it drives it. It starts small and gets a little bigger, better, a little bigger, better, a little bigger, better. And then you're in ultra marathon territory. Great stuff from Brian. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP828. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.